0: Well, good morning, Tower View. I pray that you're having a good day. I pray that you can see me, that you can hear me. All that is working. Um, I realize there's a little bit of a delay from when I'm saying the words until you hear it, and then you have to type answers. So it takes a few seconds for all that to bounce around the interwebs and through wires and cables and routers and Technology is grand when it works. All right. So good morning. It is June 6th. We are starting a new lesson. You may have seen the picture. If not, I'm going to put, let me bring that picture back up again here for a second. Um, All right. The picture is going to come up here for a second and then you won't hear anything. All right, so we're starting a new lesson today, a lesson, and we're beginning in the book of Job. Um, so once again, I am Pastor Nelson Nisley at Tower View Baptist Church. You can see our website there, towerviewkc.com. You see our phone number there. Um, good morning, Shirley. Good morning, Don. The anonymous man who is sitting there listening. Um, so I thank you for watching and listening as we continue on through the, and as I said, we're beginning in the book of Job and I will talk about our website. So who am I? Let's see. I got to come back over here and then, uh, let's see there. Click, click, click. I am Associate Pastor Nelson Nisley at Tower View Baptist Church. If you were new to us and you don't know who I am, who is a strange fellow with a lack of hair? Um, that's who I am. That's who we are. And as we begin our study here today, um, let's see, we got some more comments. Linda, good morning, Linda. As people are coming on. Like I said, we're in the book of Job, so if you don't have your lesson plan, find the book of Job in your Old Testament Bible. It's, um, if you open your Bible up about in the middle, you are probably open to Psalms, and Job is right before Psalms. Okay, let's have a word of prayer. Lord God, we just thank you and praise you for all that you provide. Lord, help us as we study your word this morning. That we can use it to worship and to serve you. You can use it to live our lives more godly for you. And we just pray all this in Jesus' holy name, Amen. So, in the book of Job, um, we'll be in Job one and, and a little bit in two today. The question is: Does suffering come from God or Satan, or does it come from ourselves because of our own the natural consequences of our own sin? Or does it come from the sin of others? Somebody else's sin and we suffer for it. And what's the truth in those answers? So as as we think about that question, as we go through the book of Job, Job is an interesting book. Um, There's no question that Job belongs in Scripture. Nobody has ever really questioned that. In fact, even in the Bible... um, Job is mentioned. So, if you go to Ezekiel fourteen fourteen, you see that Job is mentioned with Noah and Daniel. Ezekiel is making a point, and he he said, "In the point, he's, he said he's talking about you know, even as if God sends judgment on Israel or on, on anybody, and even as if Job and Noah and Daniel were there." Their righteousness will only save themselves, not even their own families. But he mentions Job, Noah, and Daniel all together. Now, Daniel was a, a contemporary of Ezekiel. Daniel and Job lived at the same time. They didn't. I don't know if they ever met each other. They were in different realms of, of the kingdom. Um, you know, it's kind of like, hey, I know somebody else from America. You may or may not know them, right? Um, Hey, I know this guy that lives in Kansas City. Do you know him? Yeah. I don't know if they knew each other personally. They knew of each other, though. And so but Job was mentioned with Noah. And by that time, it would have been very old. When did Job live? Well, we don't know for sure. Nowhere in the book of Job does he mention any kings. Two kingdoms are mentioned, the Chaldeans... And the Sabians are mentioned. And we know from history and from other places, the Chaldeans are the precursors to the Babylonians. The Sabians is the place where the queen of Sheba, Sheba, Sabians, it's the same place, is from. And we think that's from what we now modern-day Yemen, in that area. In verse 1-1 of Job, it says Job is from Uz. Well, where is Uz? Well, we're not really sure. But the best guess, based on some other history, uh, the name of a river, um, we know Uz is mentioned in some genealogies, that Uz is probably in what we, what we consider Edom, but which is modern-day Jordan. It says Job lived in the east. Well, to the Jewish people, anything east of the Jordan River is the east. And so Jordan is east of the, of, of, of the Jordan River. And us is probably in the northern part of Jordan. We don't know that for sure, but probably. When did Job live? Well, once again, we don't know the when or the where. Um, but based on some things, Job seems to be the priest of his own family. He offers sacrifices to his own, for his own children. At the end of the book, he offers sacrifices for his friends. And that seems to be the same pattern that Abraham did for his family. He was the priest of his own family. So probably he lived in the patriarchal time. So the time between Noah and Moses. Moses hadn't codified the the law yet. So there wasn't a system of, the, there wasn't the tabernacle and the altar and, and uh, ritual sacrifices that were codified by God yet. But there seemed to be a pattern for what a a godly sacrifice was, and Abraham followed that, Noah followed that, Isaac and Jacob followed that, and apparently Job followed that also. Um, Even as Abraham, we know that Melchizedek was another follower of God that wasn't part of the line, so there were other people who followed God that were out there. And so Job probably lived in that time frame. Like I said, we don't know that for sure. Job is also mentioned in the book of James. Um, and so that's where we are. We are in the book of Job. Job, and as we'll talk more about the character, and as we get into the scripture here, we'll, we'll talk about the character of Job. But that's kind of the history of the book. We don't know when it was written, I mean, as far as we don't know when, when Job lived, but we also don't know when Job was written, and we don't know who wrote Job. We have no clue on who wrote the book of Job. Um, the um, um, there, There's nothing in here that indicates who the author is, which is, is, is pretty much the same for all Old Testament books, most of them. Did, did Job write it himself? Did a prophet... Later, right, Job. You know, and the question comes into being, okay, we know, I mean, Job and his friends, and, and, and you know, there are probably people around could have remembered and, and wrote down the conversations they had. And Job maybe even recounted his conversation with God that we get towards the end of the book. But nowhere in the book does it say that Job knew what happened in heaven. And in in what we read about in chapters 1 and 2, how did the writer come to know that information? Obviously, it was a miraculous revealing. The Holy Spirit, God's Spirit, um, touched someone. There were many who think that Job 1 and 2 is just allegory. But those people also consider, many of those people consider the first part of Genesis allegory, up through Genesis 1 through 11. They consider that allegory. Um, but there is nothing allegorical about the way it is written. And, and so in, in scripture, the read scripture, nothing they take Job as a living, actual person. Ezekiel talked about Job and Noah and Daniel as actual real people, not as allegories. So there's nothing there's no reason to suspect that the first part of Job is allegory. It's all real. It all happened. How did it happen? When it happened, we don't know. But it happened. How does that affect us today? And that's what we're going to look at. So we're going to be in a book of Job. Now the lesson plan, if you have the lesson book, it starts in verse eight. But I, if you've been watching me enough, you know I'm, I'm not going to start there because that's in the middle of the story. So I'm going to start in Job 1.1. 1, 1. There was a man in the country of Uz named Job. He was a man of complete integrity who, was, who feared God and turned away from evil. I don't know what my epitaph will say on my tombstone, but it would be awesome if that said something like that, but it probably won't. Why? Well, because I'm not a man of complete integrity. I try to fear God and I try to turn away from evil, but I, I don't always succeed. But that's what Job, how Job is described. Um, your dis- translation may say "blameless," and "blameless" does not mean perfect, as in you know when we think of Christ Jesus being perfect. But he, by all basic accounts, he lived a holy life. He, in general, turned away from sin. He didn't. He didn't have hidden sins. Um, he didn't. He lived a life that was that most people say He was a good man. Even as bad people would say, "Well, that's a that's a good man. He he he's an awesome dude." Um, and, and so even at that, he would he would be considered a good man. And so that's what you know the blameless looks like. So complete integrity, feared God, turned away from evil. So the author of this book gives Job a great testimony. Verse two, he had seven sons and three daughters, and if you know your Bibli- if you've been around Bible, God, if you see those numbers a lot, three and seven, and Job, so Job was a holy man. He was blessed. He had seven sons, which is a great number, and he had three daughters, which is also a great number. Ten, t- ten children altogether, which is another number that's often turns up in Scripture, and so he he was blessed by God. Verse 3, his estate was 7,000 sheep and goats, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys, and a very large number of servants. Job was the greatest man among all the people of the East. And this is another reason we think that this was written during the, Job lived during the time of patriarchs, because during that time wealth was described in um Numer- you know, in the numbers of animals you had, not in the amount of gold you had. Later on, King Solomon, his wealth is described with how much gold and silver he had, not, in the, not, not just in the animals, although animals are described too. But here it's just described in the number of animals that he had. And so he had a lot. Um, verse 4, His sons used to take turns having banquets in their, at their homes. They would send out invitations to their three sisters to eat and drink with them. And so Job had been around. So his children were old enough that they had their own homes, and, and you know they, they could host their own parties, their own feasts. And so Job, um, you know, his ten children were, were grown, so Job was not a young man. Verse 5, whenever a round of banqueting is over, Job would send for his children and purify them. Rising early in the morning to offer burnt offerings for them all, for Job thought perhaps my children have sinned and have cursed in their heart, cursed God in their hearts. This was Job's regular practice. So it didn't say how often the children had um, these these feasts. It didn't say if this was a monthly thing, a quarterly thing, an annual thing, weekly. It didn't say how often they did it, but it says whenever. But it was a regular practice. Something they did with regularity. And Job didn't think that his children were necessarily doing sinful things during this feast. They were just, you know, as Christians we'd say they were just fellowshipping with one another. But, out of an abundance of caution, um, Job offered a sacrifice for his children to purify them from, from their sin. Sorry, I was getting farther away from the mic. So he did this, and he did. It was his regular practice was to pray, and sac- offer sacrifices for his children for their sins. Now we don't have, we can't do that today. We can't offer a sacrifice for our children. We can pray for them, but we can't do the sacrifice. And so that, you know, that can be part of our regular practice. Job was a godly man. He did that. that that's a good example for us to follow too. And so, so verses one through six, one through five, we get a setup of Job and his life, where he lived. He lived someplace called Uz. He was he was a man of integrity. You feared God. Not he feared God and turned away from evil. So you get that the the, the back both sides of the coin there. And and we know that the fear of God is the beginning of knowledge. It's the beginning of the love of God. We see that in the Psalms. We see that in Proverbs. And Job was wealthy, he was blessed, he followed God, he did all those things. And then we get to verse 6, and the scene changes. Verse 6, One day the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came with them. The Lord asked Satan, Where have you come from? From roaming through the earth, Satan answered him, and walking around on it. So now the scene changes to heaven, a heavenly scene, and God is there, with the sons of God. Who, who who are the sons of God? We don't know who the sons of God. Was there a pre-incarnate Jesus there? More than likely, but Satan was also there. And in the original language, in Hebrew, there it's it's the Accuser. It has the it has the um, the definite article the on it, so it's, it. You know, if they translated it literally, it would be the Satan. But also it says the Lord. And if you notice in your in most translations, Lord is in all camps. So it uses the covenant name of God, Yahweh, there. And that name did exist before Moses came about. We Moses that part of the when Moses was at the burning, burning bush, God revealed his name as Yahweh. But Yahweh was not a new name. But God was pointing out to Moses who he was talking to him at that point in time. And so it uses the covenant name Yahweh. Throughout most of the book, it just says God, which is um, a more generic word. Um, El, it's either just L-E-L or Elohim, which is God plural, but often it refers to God. But sons of God would also use that same base word. And so there it is. It's got the sons of God, it's got the Lord Yahweh, and it's got Satan, the accuser. That's what his name literally means, the accuser. So how often does this happen? Well, we know through book chapters one and two it happened at least twice. Do they have this conversation about everybody on earth? about you and me. I don't know. God is outside of time. He can do that. God could meet every single day with the same council of people. Satan could have the same answer. And they could talk about all 7 billion people on earth every day. And God could still hear our prayers. Answer our prayers. Bless people. But the consequences of sin take. He can do all that because he's God. That blows our mind that, you know, we, we, we think we can multitask sometimes, but not to that extent. We can't even multitask by looking at our phone and driving at the same time. Look what happens to people all the time doing that. Try washing dishes and, and, and cooking and, and taking care of the kids all at the same time. Something's going gonna, something's to gonna get left behind, some food's going to get burnt. Uh, Some kids are going to be crying, you know. That that just doesn't work as well. God can do it. We can. We can try, but it doesn't work near as well. So God is outside of time, and so they can have these conversations. And it says Satan is calls himself roaming through the earth and walking around on it. And and Peter, and First Peter, takes that theme and says Satan is a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Because he's taking this theme here that Satan himself says he's roaming around the earth. Satan the accuser. And why would the accuser roam around the earth? He's looking for people to accuse. In verse 8, Then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? No one on earth is like him, a man of perfect integrity, who fears God and turns away from evil. Here, Job once again gets a great recommend, you know, a great uh, praise, and this comes from God personally. That he fears God and turns away from evil, and he's a man of great integrity. And God is vouching for Job in front of Satan. How does God describe you and me? How does God describe me? I, I don't I, I doubt I'd get that kind of phraseology from God about me. But I'm not in heaven, so I don't know what kind of phraseology he get we have. But Satan answers him in verse nine. Does Job fear God for nothing? Have you placed a, haven't you placed a hedge of around him, his household, and everything he owns? You have blessed the work of his hands and his possessions and have increased in the land. But stretch out your hand and strike everything he owns, and he will surely curse you to your face. So he thinks Job is part of the prosperity gospel. He only loves you because you give him stuff. You know, Isn't that why our pets love us? Because we give them stuff? He thinks Job is selfish and self-centered. That Job only loves God because God gives him stuff. And it talks about, haven't you placed a hedge of protection around you? How many times have you heard somebody pray about a hedge of protection? Well, this is where they get the phrase, a hedge of protection. That God apparently put around Job. Well, praise God. But then Satan, the accuser, was God to strike Job. So what does this God say? In verse 12, the Lord's answer, Yahweh's answer to Satan. He said, very well, everything he owns is in your power. However, do not lay a hand on Job himself. So Satan left the Lord's presence. So God gave Satan permission to do evil things to Job. Why? We're going to see why. But God gave permission to Satan to do that. And Satan had planning to do And so we, we see what Satan planned, because he, he had to do some planning and some strategizing and some coordinating to make all this happen. So in verse 13, here's the results of Satan's plan. One day, so it doesn't say how, all, how much time had passed from God and Satan's conversation till this one day in verse 13 when Job's worst day ever happens. One day, Job's sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine at their oldest son's house. A messenger came to Job and reported, While the oxen were plowing and the donkeys grazing nearby, the Sabians swooped down and took them away. They struck down the servants with the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. He was still speaking when another messenger came and reported, God's fire fell from heaven. It burned the sheep and the servants and devoured them, and I alone have escaped to tell you. That messenger was still speaking when yet another messenger came and reported, The Chaldeans formed three bands, made a raid on the camels, and took them away. They struck down the servants with the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. That's a bad day. But yet there was a fourth servant. Verse 18. He was still speaking when another messenger came and reported, Your sons and your daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. Suddenly a powerful wind swept in from the desert, struck the four corners of the house. It collapsed on the young people so that they died, and I alone have escaped to tell you. We in the army sometimes talk about, you know, what's your worst day ever? And it could have been some bad news you received at home. It could have been something that happened on the battlefield while you're deployed. And you can think about what your worst day ever and did it right to this. So think about this. On one day, during during an hour's time, Job found out he lost his job. He lost his retirement plan. He lost And then all his children were killed. All his vehicles were confiscated, repossessed. He lost everything on one day. I mean, think about that. You get a call and your boss says, the company's went bankrupt. There's nothing left. There's no retirement plan. There's no job there's no future. you get your bank statement and your 401k is gone because the stock market crashes and then the police roll up to tell you that your children were all killed in a, in a, in a crash all in one all in one day all in the matter of an hour your worst day ever And so Satan think about this what Satan went away and did he had to... Work with the Chaldeans and the Sabians, who were not neighbors, not close neighbors, to both attack Job's livestock on the same day. They were, none of those are close to if we, Job, if Uz is in Jordan, both of those are hundreds of miles that have to be covered to get there. And then he controlled the weather. It says the sheep and the servants were destroyed by fire from heaven. That's lightning. So some terrible thunderstorm comes rumming through and the lightning destroys all those animals. Think It probably wasn't one bolt of lightning. It was probably a bunch of bolts of lightning to destroy all that. And then that same storm probably hit the house of the children where they were, where they were having a feast. And whether it was a literal tornado or just straight-line winds, doesn't matter. The house came crashing down and it killed everybody in it. So they weren't in a tent. They were in a building that had structure, had four corners. So they were in a solid building. They were not nomads. And it killed them all. Worst day ever. And Satan orchestrated it all. How did Job react? Verse 20. Then Job stood up. He tore his robe He shaved his head, so you can do tearing your robe pretty quickly. Shaving your head takes a little bit more time. Then he fell to the ground and worshipped, saying, Naked I came from my mother's womb. Naked I will leave this earth. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Throughout all this, Job did not sin or blame God for anything. Now look at that. It says he did not blame God for anything. But yet he says, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. So he acknowledged that the Lord did it. Now Job, at this time, does not know anything about this heavenly scene. So the world view of the day would be that God has cursed Job. He is punishing Job for some sin. That would be the the, the common take of it. That's House could you take it? God is he blesses those who bless him, you know, who, who serve him and he and he strikes down those who don't serve him. But it says he worships Satan didn't think this is what would happen. He said that does Job worship you for nothing? He worships you because you bless him. And you give him stuff and you protect him. And here is Job, all his stuff just lost. And it says he worshipped God. Even in his grief, he worshipped God. How do I know he had grief? Because he tore his robe and he shaved his head. Those are signs of grief in in that part of the world, in the Middle East. They still do those types of things today. And he says, all that I have is gone. But that's okay because it belonged to God. Blessed be the name of the Lord. All our stuff on this earth is temporary. Your house is temporary. Your car is temporary. Even your family is temporary. Someday you won't have a family anymore. Why? Well, either you will die or they will die. They won't be your family anymore. It says, through all this, Job did not sin or blame God. He acknowledged that God is to do it, but he wasn't saying, God, it's all your fault. I hate you now. He prayed to God. He went to God in his misery. He didn't turn his back on God. There's a huge difference. Acknowledging that God is the source of everything, including the pain that he's losing everything, he said God did it. but he didn't hold it against God. That's what the, the blame is, holding it against God. And he didn't do that. He didn't do that. And so what happens? Verse, well, chapter 2, let's quickly go through chapter 2. The lesson plan doesn't hit chapter 2, but I need to hit chapter 2 because next week we're in chapter 14. And so chapter 2, verses 1 through 3 are identical to the scene in heaven. It, it sets up the, and it's, it's, it's identical the way it describes that. So we're going to skip those. <clears throat> Satan is still roaming to and fro. And then verse three, God speaks to Satan. The Lord says to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? So brought, God brings up Job again. No one else on earth is like him, a man in perfect integrity who fears God and turns away from evil. He still retains his integrity, even though you incited me against him to destroy him for no good reason. Look at God's wording. You incited me against him. So God acknowledges that he is the source of the pain because he allowed Satan to do it. And so we need to remember that. Satan has the power to do things, but he, does, he can only do what God lets him do. That may be a hard pill to swallow when life is awful. Why would God let fill in the blank happen to me or happen to somebody I love? Just look across our church. We have people who are blind. We have people who are paralyzed or can't use all their limbs. We have people who get sick, who have had cancer. Who have lost limbs? The people in your lives. Why does God let that happen? We don't know. It doesn't say why. And if you think about, you know, we I tell I said that Job had the testimony of the writer of this book. He had the testimony of God. He has the testimony of Satan too, because Satan doesn't deny that. That. And he says, yeah, Job has integrity, and he, he, but he gives excuses why Job had integrity. In verse chapter 2, verse 4, Satan says, Skin for skin, a man will give up everything he owns in exchange for his life. But stretch out your hand and strike his flesh and bones, and he will surely curse you to your face. Very well, the Lord told Satan. He is in your power, only spare his life. So Satan left the Lord's presence, infected Job with terrible boils from the soles of his feet to the top of his head. Then Job took a piece of broken pottery to scrape himself while he sat among the ashes. Job was miserable. So not only, now we don't know, how much, once again, how much time passed from losing everything to Job getting this strange disease. We don't know how much time passed. Was it days, weeks, months? Possibly even years. It doesn't give us a time frame. But God didn't let Satan do this the first time. He 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 pushed it out. He 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 didn't get all get it all at once. So whatever the condition Job had, it was painful. He laid in ashes. Why would he lay in ashes? Because ashes are soft. His skin was so bad; he, he had to, you know, it was itchy and scratchy and painful, and he, he'd take broken pot shards to to scrape his skin because that's like the only thing that gave him relief. And we're going to see one part of Job's life that Satan didn't touch. In verse nine, chapter two, verse nine. His wife, Job's wife, said to him. Are you still holding on to your integrity? Curse God and die. So apparently Job's wife wasn't ill. She didn't have this disease. She wasn't killed on this bad day when everything else happened. And think about that, you know. So everything that happened to Job happened to his wife as far as the first round. She lost all her children. She lost all her wealth and security in life. And now Job is ill to say the least he has some terrible disease we don't know what the disease is i'm not a doctor i can i mean i read some things there's all kinds of speculation what it could be but frankly we don't know it could have been some known condition that is described like leprosy type of thing but it doesn't say that and it could be something brand new that job only had we don't know Needless to say, it was painful and uncomfortable. And it was on his whole body, so there was no comfortable position. And his wife was unaffected by it directly. But then we see her. She is not worshiping God the way Job did. You see a contrast to how Job turns to God and how she turns her back on God. She is blaming God. Curse God and die. She is blaming God. She has got a bad attitude towards God for what has happened. She's holding it against God. But Job's answer was this. Chapter 2, verse 10. You speak as a foolish woman speaks, he told her. Should we accept only good from God and not adversity? Throughout all this, Job did not sin and what he said. So he didn't call her a fool. He says, you speak as a foolish woman. He says, your words are foolish. And he corrected her. Should we only accept good from God and not adversity? Doesn't that go for us too? How do we react when bad things happen to us? When our worst day ever happens... In the military, I've, I've had the um, unfortunate thing, I've had to tell people that somebody died or be with. Actually, the way the Army works, the chaplain doesn't say the words. Somebody else says the words. But I'm there with them. And I've had to do that. I, I've had to do that one time stateside. And I had to do it a couple times during my first deployment. I had to go and, and had to inform a soldier that his brother back home was killed. And I had to form, that was with a, a commander, as he had to inform the rest of his unit that one of their soldiers died while they were going home on R&R. They had a heart attack on the plane and passed away. And so that was telling a whole group of people all at once. And that's never fun. Nobody wants to be there. And I've been on the end where. I was sitting beside a soldier while they waited to find out if their spouse had died. Which they eventually found out that is what had happened. And so how do we react on when we get bad news? When, bad, when life isn't all rosy. When things don't go our way. When we lose the job. When the stock market crashes, when somebody gets ill, somebody gets cancer, or some other disease, how do we react? How do we react when somebody dies? Because all those things will happen in some form or fashion. And so, how do we, how do we react to God? Because ultimately, God is the source of all that. Yes, God, because we read stories, and God miraculously saves people. I'm fascinated by weather and tornadoes, and I remember as a kid, I read a book where I grew up um, in in northern Indiana, Goshen Goshen area. Um, It's called the Palm Sunday Tornadoes. It happened on Palm Sunday, 1965. And if you ever see a picture of two tornadoes side by side from that time period, that was one of the most famous pictures of tornadoes for a very long time. And it was like a whole bunch of tornadoes hit that day. There was, it was just the storm. There was literally hundreds of tornadoes across Illinois, Indiana, Michigan, Ohio that day. And somebody compiled a list of some of the stories that had happened. And some of them were miraculous how people were saved out of that, tor- those tornadoes. And some of them were tragic and how people died. Um, two men ran into a church because they saw the tornado coming and the tornado hit that church and killed them. So it actually happened. It, the church fell down on them when they entered the church. You hear people joke about saying that. And that church was rebuilt and I had an aunt and uncle who got married in that church. Um, and so sometimes it's miraculous way people survive. I've read stories more recent years of a mother and a child were in a car. And the tornado was coming. All she could do was grab the child, and they just laid on the floorboard in the back seat, and the car was literally picked up. All the windows were smashed out of it, and the car was set back down on its wheels, and they survived with only minor injuries. How do we react to the miraculous? How do we react to the tragic? Um, We just celebrated 10 years ago that the tornado hit Joplin, where... Many people were killed. That was tragic. How do we react to that? How do you react to God? Do you react as Job did? You mourn, but yet you worship God. Do you only accept good from God and hate God when bad happens? Because that's what Satan thinks. That's what Satan thinks that we do. That we, we only follow God because, um, because God gives us things and as soon as God takes away those blessings we'll, we'll hate God. That's what Satan is hoping for. And that is that is a sign of not true belief. That is a sign of you know you know that you just give me you know Santa the, the God is Santa Claus as long as God gives me good presence, I'll worship him. When he, start, stop, when he gives me a bag of coal, then I'll stop worshiping him. And that's not true faith. That's not worshiping the true God. That's just worshiping in Santa Claus in the name of God. And so if you struggle with that, pray about it. Pray, God, how can I have a heart like Job? Where I turn to God even in my pain and agony. Even when bad stuff is happening. Even when I'm down and depressed. And that's why Job is what we consider wisdom literature. And it goes with Psalms and Proverbs. and Song of Songs and Ecclesiastes. And so you go through and you read just in Job. You read in Psalms, the Psalms of Lament. And you see how David turns to God. The Psalmist turns to God in his pain. And that's what Job did. He turned to God in his pain. And so as we continue through this, these lessons, the next seven weeks, well, kind of there's seven lessons on the book of Job, and then there will be five more lessons, six more lessons, on the book of Ecclesiastes. But as we go through Job, next week is Job 14, which is uh, part of Job's, one of Job's answers. And so the rest of Job, most of the rest of Job is a conversation between Job and his three friends. And we're going to cover that, talk about his three friends next week. But as you read through that, I pray that you read ahead, at least skim ahead, but note how Job's friends talk about God and how Job talks to God. And so make a note of that. How the the difference is how Job's friends talk about God and how Job talks about God and how he talks to God. And so, and like I said, make a note of that. So as we, we're going to wrap up here, um, do you, how, what do you accept from God? Do you realize that this world is temporary? The only sure thing we have is heaven or hell if you're not following God. Those are only sure things. Everything about elves on earth is temporary. You know, where, where do you live? Do you live in America where things are great and, and even as the poor people have indoor plumbing? You live on some you know, shanty town on the edge of a big city in South America or in Africa, and you, you, you know, you're searching the trash for your next meal. And if the wind blows too hard, it blows your house away because it's just, it's just pieces of metal and cardboard or whatever holding your house together. Whatever it is. Um, do you turn to God no matter what? And that's what Job did. Let's pray. Thank you, God, for all your blessings. Thank you for all that you do. Help us to turn to you the way Job did. Help us to have the integrity of Job in our lives that we fear God and we turn away from evil. We just pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I thank you for watching and listening. So, um, you know, check out our website, towerviewkc.com. You see our phone number there, 816-368-1330. You can call us. That phone number you can call Voice, or you can send a text to that number. On the website, there's a place that you can send messages and for prayer requests or needs or questions that you have about this scripture, about life, about what's what's going on, um, all that. And once again, I'm I'm Pastor Nelson. This I'm associate pastor here at Tower View, and so I thank you for watching and listening. Today we're going to have church at ten thirty. Here we're in Kansas, you know, we're in Kansas City, Missouri. Um, the church here, we're in front of a big colorful water tower that's across the interstate from uh, a place that has roller coasters. Um, we're at four I-435 and 48th Street is the exit. Um, the church is on the corner of Randolph Road and 50th Street, just nearby there. And so come by at 1030. We have a church. You can come inside. Um, Mass are optional recommended especially if you have not had the vaccine but we are not checking at the door uh reservations are not required um you can if you want to stay out in your car we we have um we'll broadcast the sermon on the radio at 90.7 fm and you can listen in your vehicles um we also have the speaker set up outside so that you can um sit in the grass and listen to this service outside in the grass but the um The music and everything is is inside that will be there. So you're welcome and invited to come. The sermon will be uh, streamed live as the sermon happens, but only the sermon. The songs are recorded, and our pastor of worship Craig has recorded them, and they're they're on the website or on the Facebook page and the website, and so you can you can check them out. Um, let's see, do we have any good comments? Yeah, who else is here today? So I want to thank Linda. Thank you, Linda, for watching. Shirley and Don, Darren. So I thank you all for, for watching and listening today. I pray that God will bless your day as we go. Also at church today, we are honoring the graduates of high school and college that are amongst our, mi- our mixed. And after the service, we will be having a baby dedication today. So a few extra things after the service. And then after all that, we're having a church-wide picnic. Bring your own chair. Bring your own food. And we'll be sitting outside on the east side of the church, under the trees, between the church and the highway, and having that. So just sitting out and enjoying that and pray that the rain will stay away. So thank you for watching and listening. God bless and have a wonderful day.